In November 2022, guided by fervent prayers and a deep desire to align with God's will, our church family embraced a bold leap of faith, collectively committing to embark on a journey as kingdom risk takers. Our mission, to build an unshakable faith and to unleash God's unshakable love to advance his unshakable kingdom. Our number one goal is to have 100% engagement. We want every person who calls West Side home to grow in building an unshakable faith by obeying how the Holy Spirit is leading them to give generously. Our second goal is to invest $2.5 million into advancing God's unshakable kingdom. Your response of faith as we committed together totaled $2.2 million, a bold leap of faith for our church family. With the resources that have already come in, we are seeing the difference that your obedience to generosity is making as we fulfill this unshakable vision God has given us. That vision included four objectives. First, we set out to launch a family care center to minister to the emotional, relational, and mental needs of our church family and to create a pathway to minister to those needs in our city. In addition to that, we wanted to mobilize our church family into community and engage our church family on God's mission. This unshakable vision also involves upgrades to our property so we can steward this asset for advancing God's kingdom and for building an unshakable faith in the generations to come. Our last objective in this vision is to financially support church planting locally and globally. When we went to the Pathfinder Summit, it was exciting to hear the direction that we're moving in um, the impact that we can have on our community, the growth that we can all experience, and, and I want to be part of it. It has been evident that our world continues to be shaken. 2023 has proven to be a time of uncertainty for many and a year when many lives have been shaken. But we've remained committed and faithful to God's promise that those who put God's kingdom first are unshakable regardless how difficult life becomes. It's scary, and so, um, again, I think for, for him also, you know, it's just what if, the what ifs, what, what if this happens, and um, can I fully commit to that? But again, it's just the faith that God, you know, if, God, if that's the number that God has, then that's what we'll do, and then it'll be um, fun to watch it all play out, you know. Through your faithful commitment to unshakable generosity, God's Spirit is empowering us to wrap God's family around those who are hurting and meeting them at their point of pain. What Jesus has been doing through this church is giving me all of these different opportunities and really giving me like an arsenal of people to have to battle against like spiritual warfare and many of just life struggles that happen to any, that could happen to anyone. and. I have been blessed with so many amazing people and those people in turn inspire me and they give me courage and they pray for me and in turn like I'll pray for them and it's like just this big, um, oh my goodness what's the word, <laughs> um, like big support group and that's really what that's done for me. We have seen God graciously work in many people's lives as we implemented this unshakable vision. We have made great progress to launch a family care center that ministers to the emotional, relational, and mental needs of our church family. We contracted with a licensed counselor to provide gospel-centered counseling to those in our church family who are in need. 
We also publicly launched Celebrate Recovery at the beginning of the year. Over 120 people have been impacted by this incredible ministry. Additionally, we have trained 10 Westsiders to be in-step advocates who meet with people who may not need to talk with a counselor. Furthermore, we trained five new Stevens ministers to walk alongside people who are going through a difficult time and offer prayer and encouragement. Because of these efforts to launch a family care ministry, marriages have been restoring, hurts have been healing, minds have been renewing, and the emotional health of our church family has been improving because of your generosity. We also set out to engage our church family in community and on mission. This year, we have had over 300 people engage in Christ-centered groups or serve on mission together. We also have had record numbers in our gatherings since 2020. We had 181 women at our Thrive Women's Conference. On Easter weekend, we had over 1,000 people on site to worship together. Our student ministry is reaching over 60 middle and high schoolers every week. Our kids ministry is building the faith of more than 120 kids every Sunday. And to top it all off, we have seen 31 people get baptized and identify they are part of God's family and that Jesus is their Lord. We believe that God's mission has a church, and we have seen God's blessing in our investment towards church planting. Because of your generosity, we have been able to invest $37,000 into church planting locally and globally. Bethel Ministries in Uganda are training hundreds of church planters. In South Africa, our Adoptive Village program has equipped over 900 house churches, which represents over 4,000 people living out an expression of loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus and sharing Jesus. And Westside, we are not done. We are here at the midpoint of this unshakable journey, and God is not asking us to let off the gas. I'm excited to share with you some of the great things, by God's grace, we will do together in the second half of this unshakable journey. We are not done launching our Family Care Center. We're going to enhance the capacity of our care ministry by introducing three new care groups. These care groups will be dedicated to providing support for individuals experiencing grief, those who have gone through divorce, and those struggling with anxiety or depression. Additionally, we will hire a full-time counselor who will take the lead of our Family Care Center. Also, we're not done mobilizing Westsiders into community and mission. We want to equip 15 new A2 communities. These are Christ-centered communities who are devoted to Jesus and His mission to reach the lost around them. In conjunction with that, we will train more group leaders so Westsiders can grow in their faith by engaging in community. As for our church's facility and property, we are just getting started. We are planning upgrades that will begin soon. We're going to upgrade the landing where our grade schoolers meet. We're going to improve the aesthetic appeal, acoustics, and lighting. Uh, we're going to also rejuvenate our early childhood environments with new carpet, paint, and furniture. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, we have plans for you too. We're going to overhaul the loft where you meet. We're going to install new lighting, new flooring, and change the layout of your room so you can invite more friends to join you. In our community room, where our adults gather weekly, we're going to install a new sound system, heighten our stage, and install new lighting throughout that room. 
We are committed to faithfully steward our finances and our resources to advance God's kingdom. Because of this commitment, we have evaluated the exponentially higher costs of new construction. Prayerfully, we are postponing the construction of a new lobby, hallway, and restrooms until we have the necessary funds to begin and know that it's God's timing. However, we will pursue construction to replace our south parking lot. We will remain faithful to steward all that we have and all that we are to glorify God and to expand His kingdom. So, Westside Family Church, as we arrive at the midpoint of Unshakable, we find ourselves in a new season of faith where we are rising up in confidence and trusting that God is at work within us and that He wants to continue to work through us. I don't know about you, but I sense that God is stirring our hearts. I feel an urgency and a hunger in our church family like I've never seen before. I sense that we are at a boiling point where God is about to do something miraculous and transform the spiritual landscape of our city. We realize we have more to do. In order to live unshakable lives, we need to intentionally build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and fix our eyes on following Him. So, we will refresh our focus on Jesus in a new season of growth and learning with a series we are calling Solid Rock. Through this Solid Rock series, we are praying that God will speak to us in one of three different meaningful ways. First, there are some of us who are new to Westside or new to Unshakable, and this may be the first time you have understood what this Unshakable initiative is all about. We invite you to join all of us. Our primary goal is 100% of our church family building an unshakable faith through giving generously. We don't want you to miss out on this opportunity to grow in your faith and put Jesus first in your life by placing Him first in your finances. We invite you to join us and make your unshakable commitment for the next 12 months so that you too can experience the spiritual growth that comes from building your life on the solid rock of Christ. Second, there are some who made an unshakable commitment a year ago and since then have experienced some hardships. The unexpected may have happened. You may have had unforeseen expense or inflation has greatly impacted you. If that's you, I want to encourage you from Cassie and my experience when we have encountered hard times in our lives. I want to encourage you to remain faithful in keeping Jesus first as much as your faith will allow. God honors those who honor Him and keep Him first. I pray this series gives you the faith that you can commit to finish strong as you find comfort and courage in Christ. Last, there are others of us who made an unshakable commitment and may have had an increase in faith or an increase in your finances over this past year. It's not that making your unshakable commitment has been easy. It took faithful sacrifice. However, maybe you are sensing that the Lord is stretching you and challenging you to increase your unshakable commitment. If so, I ask you to join Cassie and me. Cassie and I believe God is calling our family to stretch more and increase our commitment because He has increased our faith. I am excited to see what God does as we finish strong together. In Luke 6, 47, Jesus says this, 
as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. So let's unite in building our lives on the solid rock of Jesus by living out his truth. Because only in Christ, we are unshakable. Yeah. I can't tell you how excited we are for what God has done, and I'll let you know that just as excited that I am about what God has done, I am more excited about what God is about to do in our hearts and our lives. Right now, uh, our hosts are coming out, and they're going to be passing every one of us. I want everyone to be able to get uh, an unshakable midpoint guide around this new series we're launching today called Solid Rock. And we, this will be a guide for us to uh, take us through this series. As they pass this out, um, for those of you that haven't got it yet, I encourage you to open your Bibles up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, or, if, or if, whether you have your Bible with you or your app or your, uh, that's on your device, uh, turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Also, while they're passing that out, let me just thank everyone who's worn your unshakable shirt today. I'm so thankful for that. Hey, if you do not have an unshakable shirt and you've never, you've never received one, we want to make sure you have one. And so we will uh, we will make that available to you um, in, in the back of the room. I believe is where you'll, you'll you can find that or see Miss Tammy in the in the in the in the in the, in the entryway. We have someone there that would love to give you a, a shirt today uh, if you have not received one of those. And thank you for everyone who has done this. Now, as you have your guide, I want to point out a couple of pages. So if you'll turn with me first of all to page number seven. Go to page number seven there. Good number to start on, right? Seven. So in this, number seven is uh, just a page where it, by grace, this is where God, we will see going, and then God's going to be directing us uh, over the next couple uh, months to, to see these things happen. This is where we're going, and I, as you read this, I don't read them all here, but this is my prayer, is that something stirs you, one or two of these things just stir you with excitement. Uh, as you look through this list. So this is where we believe God is uh, leading us to in the next uh, couple months um, as we continue this and on this second leg of this uh, unshakable initiative. Next, I want you to turn to page 13. Now, this is a very important page, um, not because it's lucky number 13. I just realized that. Um, but it's a really important page. At the top of this page, it's who are you praying for? And this is really important. Uh, I encourage you to write down the name or names of someone who's close to you, not just close to you in relationship, but also I want you to think about someone who's close to you in proximity. Someone who's close to you who needs healing, who needs healing spiritually. Maybe they're close to you but far from God and they need their relationship with God restored. Who's someone that's close to you but needs healing um, relationally. Maybe their marriage you see is struggling. Maybe there's a relationship in their family dynamic or a relationship that you know they're struggling with and they need healing. Or maybe you know someone who's struggling um, emotionally and they need healing emotionally and mentally. Who, who is someone that's close to you who, who needs healing spiritually 
relationally or mentally. I want you to write, maybe write them down. Maybe God's given you a name and you just need to write it down right now. I want you to begin praying for that name and the other names that God leads you to begin praying for. That is a space for you to write their names down. Regularly come to this and pray for them. And I want you to know that as you're praying for them, I am going to be praying for you. And this is how I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be praying for you as you're praying for them. I'm going to be praying that God gives you the opportunity to invite them. I'm praying God gives you the opportunity to invite them to a service, that God gives you the opportunity to invite them to watch something online, that God gives you the opportunity to invite them maybe over to your house for dinner or maybe to your group that you're a part of. I'm praying for you to have the opportunity to invite them to be, because I'm praying that you have the opportunity to be a part of their story of healing, that God wants, that has placed you in their life for you to be a channel for him to come into their life. And so, the, see, this is what I know. The kingdom of God advances through people. It's the only way the kingdom of God advances. The kingdom of God advances through people who come alongside people. And that's what we're going to do, and this is what I'm challenging you to do. So write down that name, add other names to that as they come to mind, and know I'm going to be praying with you as well as my names. Also, I want you to turn to page, on, on, that, on that page 13, I'm sorry, on that page 13, you'll see as an opportunity for you to write down your key learnings and your next steps. So every week, including today, I want you to write down what's a key learning, what's something that stood out to you or that you feel the Holy Spirit inspiring you to do, and what's your key takeaway and what's a next step to do that. Uh, next, turn to page 16. On page 16 is a, uh, the beginning of a weekly study. So each page or e- e- each page there has a, a weekly study. There are some scriptures as, long as, a, a, as well as reflection questions. You can use these questions for personal study, but they are best used and they're designed and they're written so you can have this conversation and answer this, these questions with at least one other person or with your group. We would love for you to uh, go through this individually, but ideally, we want you to go through this together with someone else or a group of people. Now, the last thing I want you to point out uh, to you is uh, this commitment card that is inside your midpoint guide. Uh, this is a practical and a spiritual tool to, for you to use and to guide you as you and your family pray about what your next step is and what you, about your commitment to unshakable. We're going to talk more about this in the following weeks, and for now I, imper- I encourage you to put this in a special place that will remind you to pray about that. And, and now, um, I, for the guidebook, I want you to bring this back every week, and for right now, I'm going to ask you to put this down close because we're going to pick it up here in a little bit, so you can put that uh, down. Uh, you can put that in your binder after service, your unshakable binder. If you do not have an unshakable binder, we would love to get you that. That's a place where you can put your notes that we give every week that you can follow along so you can grow in building your unshakable faith. Speaking of notes, get out your notes for today's teaching. We are going to look in this series called Solid Rock. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And we're through this, this 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, we're going to see what Paul says to the church in Corinth Uh, this Corinthian church, and he's addressing them, you need to know this, uh, he's addressing them about one year after they made a financial commitment to help with a need in the city of Jerusalem. So they had made a commitment, a financial need, uh, to meet a financial need. In 2 Corinthians, um, this book, this letter, is one of possibly four letters that Paul writes to the church that he planted many years ago. So it's a young church plant, much like us. 
And in the two long letters that we do have uh, in our canonized scripture, we see that Paul has a lot to say to the Corinthians. In his first letter that we have, Paul does a, addresses a lot of things and he corrects a lot of behaviors. And in that first one, he gives a lot of direction to the church in Corinth. He gives a lot of direction and correction to them. In the second letter that we have, Paul is defending his reputation with the church in Corinth. He's defending his apostolic ministry that was focused on laying a foundation and teaching the foundations of Jesus Christ. So much of 2 Corinthians is actually him setting them straight for the misunderstandings or the things that were misrepresented, all the misrepresentations of what Paul originally taught to them. And then, throughout this book, we get to chapters 8 and 9, and this is a remarkable two chapters, because this is the longest writing on generosity that we have in the entire scriptures. Every year that I come to this in my Bible reading plan, my annual Bible reading plan, I get to chapters 8 and 9, and I'll tell you something, I sometimes want to skip over it, <laughs> but every time I read it, I'll tell you this, I'm inspired, I'm challenged, and I'm convicted. And you're going to see why that happens to me. And, and the reason I'm often convicted is I see that Paul emphasizes much less about to whom or to what I give my money as much as he ad is addressing the heart and the motivation by which I'm giving. See, God is more concerned about the heart I'm giving from than he is about who or what I give my money to. It's not that God's not concerned about to whom or what you give your money. It's not that God's concerned. He is concerned about it. But he's more concerned about the devotion of your heart. He's concerned about the motivation of your, by which you and I give. And this is what Paul addresses in chapters 8 and 9 of this passage of Scripture. What is the motivation? What's the motivation of your generosity? What's the motivation of you giving? And this is actually what our whole in Unshakable initiative is about. It's about your motivation. That's why our number one primary goal for Unshakable is a 100% engagement. We want 100% of Westside, everyone who calls Westside Family Church their home, to, to gr engage into what Paul is talking about here, to, to engage in the desire and the motivation of our heart of building an unshakable faith on the solid rock of Christ Jesus. And we hope that as you search your own hearts, and ask God to reveal you the motivation that you are giving from. That, that out of that, we'll, we'll be, that, that, that an overwhelming release of God's unshakable love will happen. And that's the secondary goal. Is our secondary goal is for uh, unshakable is, that, is this kingdom advancement. That we're going to release God's unshakable love and it's going to advance the kingdom of God. Our first goal is our hearts changed by faith in Christ Jesus. And the second is the outcome of a heart surrendered fully and, uh, on Jesus as our Lord and dependent upon Him, making Him first in our lives. See, you need to know something. God's kingdom advances when our hearts are changed. Can I say that again? God's kingdom advances when our hearts are changed. This is key. This is the only way that you will experience the kingdom life that God wants for you to experience is when your hearts are transformed by the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you something, church. This is what I need. This is what you need. And right now, more than ever, this is what the world needs, the kingdom of God 
to, be trans- to transform people's hearts. That's the only way change will come to the world is when people surrender to the king and their hearts are changed by the Holy Spirit. Now, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, he leverages an example to the Macedonian church, a church that is located in this area, this area of Philippi and Thessalonica. If you recognize, there are actually two letters he writes to those specific churches. They had, this church in Macedonia had already given to this need in Jerusalem, and Paul celebrates them giving to this need in a specific way, and he sets them up as an example to the Corinthians. And that's what we read in these seven verses that we're going to look at today. And as we read these, I want you to circle each time the word grace is, and I want you to see the context of how God uses this word, or Paul uses this word grace. So we begin in chapter 8, verse 1. Read with me. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know, and here's the first one, about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And here he begins to explain this grace that God has given them. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Did you see God's grace at work as he described that? In a very severe trial, grace led to overflowing joy. Through their extreme poverty, grace led them to demonstrate rich generosity. Now, I don't know about you, but these are paradoxes in my world. They don't go together. Like, severe trials and extreme poverty are the very reason for me not to have joy, I'll just tell you that right now. And not only that, but, but extreme poverty is, is, is not just that. It's not the, that's the very excuse I have to not live generously. But not when God's grace is involved. See, you need to know this about the Macedonian church that Paul uses as an example. This church, these people in Thessalonica and Philippi were highly persecuted people. They were, their persecution is what led them into the extreme poverty. They were persecuted, and because they were persecuted because of their faith, they weren't persecuted for any other reason. It was because of their faith in Christ alone. And because of that, they could not get jobs. They, people, they wouldn't hire them. We, we know this throughout the collection of our writings that we have in that era of time, that they could not do trade in that era of time because they were people of faith they were people who followed jesus and their persecution led them to not be able to acquire things and they were those things were taken away from them because of their faith the sad irony in all of this is the corinthian church who paul is writing to was one of the wealthiest churches in the greco-roman world much like the church in america is the wealthiest church in all of the world. And you may not feel rich, but the reality is in the wealth of the world, we are rich in what we have. But we're not really rich in what we give. The Macedonians are a reminder that God is generous, and where His grace is experienced, there's an, a shared love that overflows with generosity. See, the evidence of God's grace was expressed through the Macedonians' rich generosity in spite of their extreme poverty. Paul uses the Macedonians as an example that money doesn't bring joy. Your circumstances don't bring joy. 
Your wealth is not based on what you have. Your wealth is based on what you're free to give. The Macedonians had an overflowing joy in spite of their extreme poverty that resulted in this rich generosity. And Paul then qualifies their rich generosity. In verse 3, he says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. Listen to this language. The privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. Well, Paul, how did they do that? He would say, let me tell you. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. Then, by the will of God, also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. In other words, you wealthy Corinthians did not do what you committed to do, so God's grace welled up within this poverty-stricken Macedonian church to make up for your part. So Paul gives them next an inspiring challenge to this wealthy Corinthian church. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. There's our third grace. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now I want to point out three important foundations that Paul shares with the Corinthians that is in response to the generosity of the Macedonian church. First, Paul points out that the Macedonians understood that we give ourselves first to the Lord. We give ourselves first to the Lord. He says this and states this in verse 5, that the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord. Then he says, by the will of God, the Macedonians gave them and they were secondarily committed to the work that we were doing. But because they were first devoted to Jesus, that was the best thing about them. That was the example they were making. And because of their commitment to Jesus, then they were committed to the work that Paul, Timothy, and Titus were doing. You know, too often, too many make what we are giving from, or uh, not what we're giving from, too often, too many of us make what we're giving to the excuse to evaluate the motivation we are giving from. We don't look at the motivation or the devotion of our heart because we elevate to or what we're giving to. Paul elevates the Macedonians as a model of giving yourself first to the Lord and then secondarily to the work of the Lord. And often we get these we get these vice versa. We are more focused on what we're giving to and we're not focused on the devotion of giving everything to the Lord. And when that, we major on the minors. And when we major on the minors without keeping the major thing first, this is when disunity erupts in the church. This is when we get forms of godliness that deny the power of the work of the gospel. This is when we get law and not grace. But we got to keep our devotion to Jesus as the primary thing. Paul elevates the Macedonians as this model of giving yourself first to the Lord, then to the work. See, the grace of giving is only experienced when you first give yourself fully to the Lord. This is why the Macedonians were able 
to willingly, not compulse, not out of compulsion, but they were willingly able to give above and beyond what they were even capable of doing. They experienced the grace of giving. Now, in the last series, we learned that Paul taught the Macedonian church in, in the letter of Philippians, because of the church of Philippi, he taught them the secret of being content, regardless of what they had, wealth or poverty. He's taught them the secret is in Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's the secret. And he taught them that, that no matter well-fed or hungry, that you can depend upon God because your God can meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's the letter that he wrote to this impoverished, stricken church. This is why they could wholeheartedly give themselves to the Lord first, because they fully depended upon him. Now, the second thing the Macedonian church understood is that giving is a spiritual discipline. It's not something that immediately comes in all of us. However, for some of us, it is a gift, and we, talk, we learn about this gift that Paul writes. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. A generosity is. And it's, and it's a part that God gives some people in the body of Christ to, give, to be free to live on little and give extremely generously. But not every one of us has that gift, but every one of us needs to learn the discipline of giving. It's a spiritual discipline. See, giving is a spiritual discipline that we learn. It's a journey that we are all on to grow and becoming more godly and more like Jesus. Now, this is a spiritual discipline that Paul talks about in verse 7 when he says, but since you excel in everything. He talks about all these things they excelled in as the Corinthian church. They were well-spoken. They had, they, they had a great knowledge in that day and age. Corinthian church, um, they had, uh, their faith was actually very knowledgeable. Even though they were immature in how they lived out their faith, they had a good knowledge of faith. And he says, but I, he goes to this church in uh, Corinthians, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. So just as you excel in your career, just as you excel in that hobby that you have, just as you excel in your physical health, your emotional health, your relational health, just as you excel in all of these areas, in the knowledge of your faith, just as you excel in knowing God and studying scripture, he's like, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. See, giving generously is a big way we are loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus. And the Macedonian church learned generosity through their poverty. Their generosity excelled in difficulty. See, that's what makes it a discipline. Difficulty is what makes it a discipline. Isn't it? This was a challenge to the Corinthians who were quite comfortable in their extreme wealth. But as Paul uses the Macedonians as an example, the Corinthians are challenged to become excellent in their generosity by also developing this discipline of giving. See, excellence is the outcome of a regular discipline that we apply in our life. And this is the point Paul makes. Giving is a spiritual discipline, especially when we give in our difficulty. We, that's when we exercise the muscle of generosity. And I've learned that when I've learned to give in my difficulty, it's easier for me and God's grace is revealed in me when to be able to give just as much proportionally or even sacrificially in my wealth. But it starts in the discipline of difficulty. 
a discipline that trusts God as my provider, a discipline that is willingness, is willing out of the abundance of what God has already given me in Christ Jesus. See, the spiritual discipline of giving is a journey. And I want you to do something, actually. Get back to your notes, your booklet here. Open up your pages, open your book at page eight and nine. It's this little generosity climb. Here, we see a couple things. This is a picture of the generosity journey, if you will. And as you respond to Jesus' love for you, you will make an, you'll become an initial giver. You're going to give to advancing God's kingdom. You're going to give here. And you're going to give to God's work as a response to giving yourself fully to Jesus. And then the next part of your journey is you become a consistent giver. You give regularly. You give regularly, and, 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 and in this, you become, uh, you, you then take a next step to become a proportional giver. A proportional giver makes God's kingdom the priority uh, through a percentage of their income. And then we become, we grow, and as we grow in this ex- excellence of giving, this excelling in generosity, we become surrendered givers. And surrendered givers let their kingdom that let their, that their kingdom giving direct and determine their personal saving and their personal spending. This is what kingdom uh, surrendered givers do. Instead of letting your personal and savings and spending say, okay, then we're going, after we commit to this, we're going to give then this extra left over to the kingdom. We're, it's vice versa. We're devoted to God's kingdom. And then we're going to live on and save the rest. And then it progresses into eternal an eternal giver. These are those who sacrificially find ways to use their assets to invest in kingdom treasures that will outlast them. So where are you on this journey? And your spiritual journey and your discipline, this this journey in this spiritual discipline. And as you think about this and you look at that chart, I I just want you to listen to these questions I want to ask you. They're, They're in your notes. They're already filled in. You don't have to write any blanks. But I just want to ask you this question as you look at this chart. The first question is a level of your surrender. What steps do you need to take to move toward a deeper dependence on Jesus and move away from the pursuit of your own comfort? How is God asking you to surrender to him, making Jesus first in your life so you're fully dependent upon Christ? Next question is a question of your faith. How can you joyfully and gratefully honor God with 100% of what Jesus has given you. And the last question is a measure, is a, is a question of your level of generosity. What new level of generosity can begin to express your gratitude for what Jesus has done for you? See, generosity is an expression of my gratitude. That's why wealth has nothing to do with my generosity. See, generosity has everything to do with my gratitude. And that leads to the last thing I want to point out from this passage. See, giving in response to everything that God has given me is grace-based giving. You want to step into this and and, and grow in this discipline? Give from everything God has already given you. The Macedonian church excelled in this. Paul writes to the Corinthians, encouraging them to excel in this. And I believe God is looking at the church across the globe and us as Westside Family Church and saying, I want you to excel 
in giving. I want you to excel in the grace of giving. And here's a serious big idea that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. It's this right here. God is generous, and he wants you to excel in the grace of giving. God is generous. Everything you have and everything you own, it has come from him, and he has generously given it to you, including, and most importantly, your salvation. And he wants you, out of the abundance of gratitude, to excel in this grace of giving. And here's my prayer for you over the next several weeks. My prayer is that you surrender to Jesus. You put him first in your life and you grow in your faith by taking your next step to excel in generosity.